Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three iOS developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. Hey, and welcome back to Shared Instance. I really don't even know what episode this is, but I think once you get to a certain point, you just stop counting on these types of things. So, yeah, we've been on hiatus for a while, and I, I won't say that we're we're back back, but we... We all loved seeing a lot of the, the dub dub stuff, and we just wanted to talk about it and, and kind of riff on things. So, uh, what do you? But first, let's uh, talk about what you guys have been up to. Well, Argo, let's start with you. Um, I mean, I, I have not been up to that much. It's hard to remember the last time we did an episode. What is different? Um, we have been doing a lot of. Uh, kind of upkeep on our apps for the most part. Um, I've been doing a lot of Android work the past month or two, but uh, especially based on some of the recent dub dub stuff, I'm going to be uh, doing some more iOS stuff uh, coming up. We, I'm sure we'll talk about specifically what that is in a bit, but um, our apps just have kind of kept, we've been keep keeping on, keeping on, I guess. <laughs> Yeah. What have you been up to, Sam? Well, well, hold on. So you you guys released that one app, uh, the Solitaire app. And that was, was that in... not out last time we recorded? No, it was. But I just want to kind of okay. get your, I guess, like uh, six or twelve month perspective on on using Unity and C Sharp for for that kind of thing. Um, so from a technical standpoint, I mean, if you're gonna make a game that's cross platform, it's, I mean, that's really the way to go. Um, I mean, if we were to start another game from scratch, that's what we would do again. Um, I mean, it's it's a tool built built for that purpose, so it does it really well. Uh, it just happens to be that all of our apps with the most users uh, are not built that way. We have our own custom game engine, and they're written in Java and in Objective C. So, right. Well, that's all right. That's that's what I wanted to hear. Whether you yep. were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm happy with it. I, I think we kind of reinforced uh, our belief that there was a lot of competition uh, on the solitaire side. Um, <laughs> so our 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 solitaire apps do not have that many users, especially compared to our other ones. And it's a pretty young app, so it'll take a while to grow. But it's really expensive uh, to get new users as well. So that's kind of been our overall like mile high view of what we've been working on we spent a lot of time just like making marketing videos and stuff like that for uh both our new apps and our old apps so we've been kind of all over the place so what, what have you been up to sam oh man well i i've changed jobs since uh last we spoke i i'm working for a company that does virtual tabletops for role-playing games so basically it lets you play pen and paper games like Dungeons and Dragons online. And uh, I'm doing mobile for them. And uh, I'm actually doing both iOS and Android. So that's been interesting for me. I mean, I've, I've got Android experience, but it's always kind of like, here's your left hand and here's your right hand. And uh, I'm definitely not as good with the left hand. It takes me longer to do stuff. Oh, yeah. Con- context switching can be a big pain, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm still kind of working it, that out. Like, I've, we want to keep feature parity as we go along. And uh, so I've been kind of like doing 
one story on iOS and one story on Android. And then, but that's a significant shift in context each time. And it's kind of fun. And it's in some ways, it's like, I don't have uh, a lot of, there's not a lot of people on this project. It's basically me right now. And there will be more later, but uh, so I'm also doing a lot of the design work and it's small company kind of stuff, you know. And, I'm uh, familiar. So it's, sometimes I do it on, I do a story on one side and then I go over to the other side and I'm like, oh, but I could do this so much better now this way. <laughs> so I end up kind of having yeah. to go back and forth. I'm, I'm competing with myself. It used to be that when I was on a larger teams. There's like yeah. this friendly rivalry between the uh, Android and iOS developers if you're doing a an app on both platforms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, like some guys, like, oh, this I could do it this way. It's so much cooler than the way we were told to do it. And then the other platform yeah. has to kind of scramble and catch up. Now I'm doing it to myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, but it's fun. I I'm actually using Kotlin, Kotlin uh, for the Android side, and using multi-platform stuff so it allows me to kind of reuse my business logic for the ios side and that's been a, a great help but i'm still doing swift on kind of the front end piece of it so it's swift talking to i guess your your business layer uh level uh, code so it's pretty cool yeah it sounds cool we'll probably try to dig into some of that stuff later down the line uh maybe um uh, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about uh, with DubDub. So, Alex, do you want to share what you've been up to in the past months? Yeah, not not a whole lot. Uh, at work, uh, our team's grown uh, you know, significantly in the last six months. And uh, at home, we also grew a, a little bit. So it's been rather busy and trying to keep up with everything as well as um, lots of new things to learn all the time. So I know like people that found businesses that uh, become I don't know, successful and you know, they grow and grow and you know, the founders, they, they start doing less and less of their original work. How much programming are you doing day to day now? I'm trying to do very little. Okay. Uh, in terms of like critical path development work, but uh, yeah. Still, you know, very active in in architecture and looking at how we're building apps going forward. And you know, this past week definitely has created a reason to step back and and think about how we're going to be building apps in the future. They kind of flip the table on you. Yeah, and I was expecting at least some degree of that. Um, and yeah, you know, we'll get into more detail, but you know, it's not an overnight change either. So it'll take a while. Uh, long story short, the future me is going to have a lot of fun developing apps using all the new stuff, but current me is just uh, jealous of <laughs> what I can't use today. Now you know how I've felt for the past long many years when all the new stuff comes out and i have this app that can't drop support for any any os as it seems like um but uh so yeah i guess let's get into all that that crazy new stuff that you're talking about 
Alex. Uh, so one thing that we also have been doing in the meantime is our, our community uh, in our shared instance Slack uh, has kind of uh, kept kept talking about the latest goings on in iOS development. So feel free to go to chat.sharedinstance.com if you want to join in on all that fun. Yeah. Um, in some ways, it's kind of been the, the podcast away from the podcast, depending on the day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so we were all sitting there. There's a, you know, a bunch of people talking about the keynote as it was going on. And right before it started, I think uh, Alex started off with what his what his wish list was for Dub Dub. Um, so do you want to tell us what your wish list was, Alex? And ha- if you feel you got those items on the list? Yeah, yeah, I can go through. I had four major things on the list. One was declarative UIs with a Swift DSL, uh, and that was something I was hoping for, but I wasn't really expecting. Uh, The only thing that really gave me confidence that we were going to see that this year was Google decided to preemptively preview their uh, pre-alpha declarative UI, uh, Jetpack Compose framework, uh, which is essentially what Swift UI is, but in Kotlin. Uh, but it was extremely uh, uh, early days, and even the documentation was pretty sparse. So um, I felt like Google had a, had a hint of what was coming and wanted to get something out there so they didn't look like they were just... Uh, copying off of Apple. And then uh, the second big item on the list was SPN support for uh, all the OS's, iOS, macOS, etc. Up until now you could pretty much just do static libraries and uh, command line tools and server-side code. And I think a lot of us have been looking forward to the day that uh, we didn't need to have a third-party solution for package management. And uh, that one, I would say we've, for the most part, were able to check off the list. There's still probably some things that that'll continue to get better there. And I, I was also expecting an updated design system and higher level UI components. Uh, Those I don't feel like we uh, really got this year. Um, In fact, in some ways we kind of went a different direction of instead of higher level components, a lot of really small low level components that can be composed into more complex components. Um, And that's probably still it's probably a good thing, um, probably better foundation for building those more complex high-level components. But uh, I was, after last year's DubDub, it did feel like uh, they were hinting at a new design system. There were a lot of rumors about it. Uh, there were definitely some refinements this year, but nothing nothing radical. You, you did mention specifically card views on your wish list. Um... And I think that is the modal presentation now, right? We get a card yes. view instead. So that, yeah, kind of got that one, but not really. Kind <laughs> of, but yeah. yeah you not... got one specific higher level component. And I believe material design on Google, they 
have a whole bunch of different card layouts uh, as just a common theme and or a common style of um, grouping uh, components and to some degree Apple talked about that from a design perspective a lot of their updates to Apple apps adopted the card style uh, design but at, at the smaller component level but nothing that uh, as far as I could tell that we could actually take advantage of today yeah you're right Google has definitely been doing a good job of of providing those types of things even I, they've been doing that for years they they've had like navigation frameworks like like the hamburger button they had long long time ago and they've added a whole bunch more kind of high level UI components in the past couple years so ultimately I, I got two out of the four things on my list uh, which was better than I thought so um, but actually it was <laughs> It kind of worked out to be the opposite of what I expected. So I thought the, the UI and design items were more likely, but I, I'll, I'll take it. I, I think uh, I'm pretty excited about some of the, the new ways of building apps. Maybe they only refresh the UI every seven major iOS versions. <laughs> well, there we go. Next iOS year, 14 yeah. lookout. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Be there, San Jose in June 2020. So Argo, you you had a wish list as well, and I think you got everything on your list, right? Yeah, I did. I had different expectations. Um, for a while, I was thinking this was going to be a big dub dub, uh, and then right before everyone was getting really pumped, and I'm like, oh, it's not going to be that great. So, um, anyways, as a independent or a small like a mobile app developer. My number one wish was to not get shirt locked. Um, Apple has made card games before. They had a poker game right when the App Store came out. I don't know if many people remember that, but it's always it's always nice when you make it through the keynote and you're like, all right, I've not been replaced by a de facto app. So I got item number one. Um, number two was uh, kind of the unification of Mac and iOS system frameworks that let the iOS simulator run metal. So up until iOS 13 and Catalina, um, if you wanted to port your app to metal, if you had an OpenGL app, you could not. It would not, well, you could, but it would only run on your device. It would not run in the simulator at all. It would, would not compile for for the iOS simulator, which was super frustrating, especially since last year they deprecated OpenGL. Spoiler alert, we did get that, and, and actually some things that were metal based like scene kit would run uh, in the simulator before, but now metal is there on the simulator as long as you're using Catalina. So got that. And then the one that I never thought I would get was, was for uh, swift package manager to be feature complete enough to replace cocoa pods. And I, that I was like, there's no way that one's going to happen uh, with all the rumors and stuff. I had a good feeling that I was going to be able to use, metal on the simulator because they were going to kind of do all the things that project catalyst needed but somehow they they like did a whole bunch of stuff with spm so i'm i'm pretty psyched uh to be able to not have to use coca pods anywhere i'm hoping we'll see we'll see if everyone else jumps on board but it seems like 
most of the stuff's there. Um, yeah. But yeah, somehow I got all three of my items. <laughs> <laughs> I bet nobody but the, the Cocoa Pods programmers are the happiest to get rid of uh, their jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always nice if, if somebody can take over and do something like that for you that's better. It's not, that's not, in this case, this kind of tool is not really a competition. So. Yeah. But, uh, so I guess, I mean, our, our goal is not really to like recap the dub dub keynote for you. There is a billion other podcasts that have done that, but there is one dig that Apple made (laughs) that really gets into my craw whenever they make it. Um, and it's a, it's a crowd pleaser. So they do it every year. Uh, Tim Cook puts up his slide about, um, you know, oh, we've got a new OS coming out, and we're at 95% uh, of our users have already updated to the new OS. Well, the other guys, um, you know, he shows an OS that came out like a couple months ago and has like 2% or something like that. Um, this is this is true, but uh, Google does a like, way better job about giving Android developers shiny new things that they can use without requiring the latest OS, which I really wish Apple would do. It seems like it would not be super hard to decouple some of the awesome new things that they come out with every year and let them run on, you know, uh, an OS, a version or two beforehand. Um, but, like, if this, this new, all the new UI bits that we got, you have to use iOS 13 for most of it and Catalina for most of it. Otherwise, you can't do it. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but that just, it kind of bugs me. It gets, gets at me at my <laughs> core every time they make that, that, that Android dig. I, I think it's okay for them to be proud of that. But the, the other issue of requiring us, to, us to be on Catalina right now to do all this cool stuff, you know, take care, take advantage of all the new things like Swift UI. You know, yeah, you can do it on Mojave, but it's a it's a less than optimal experience and and that to me kind of that's annoying to me like they've been working on swift ui for a long time they, they've been working on things like combine for a long time these aren't just frameworks that they started last year in in june 2019 or 2018 you know they they've they've been running on mojave for a year but they're making us you know, install these beta versions of their OS and we're either stuck dual booting or if you do it to your primary machine, you're not going to be able to release an app for the next three months. And and that's not really tenable. Warning, do not install the beta on your primary hard drive. (laughs) Well, yeah, Uh, quick pro tip though. And I know if a lot of people have been on Slack and Twitter, they probably already know this but if your primary partition is apfs you can create a second partition on that without doing any kind of resizing work or you know destructive partitioning and it'll actually even share all the excess space in your primary partition so that is one of the cool things about apfs i so is that what you did for your no i actually uh installed it on an external drive and i'm kind of regretting that Okay, well, so I did the same thing, but I'm curious about that. So, we're—I don't think we're going to talk that much about Catalina, 
Um, but one of the things that I've heard about Catalina is that they have two separate partitions. One that's like a, I don't. They have a weird name for it, but it's like yeah, it's all of the system right. stuff, including like things that aren't just your user data. And then they have like a partition for all your user data. So I was just curious how that worked if you were to install on the same drive using the APFS like space saving stuff between partitions but yeah do you have any clue anybody my guess is it <laughs> ends up creating that third partition for you does it create like multiple yeah. or something it, yeah it I installed it on my external drive and it created those two partitions on it during the installation process yeah I assume it did on mine too I haven't even really looked but I was it, it kind of makes me wary to to do stuff like that on my main on my main drive. So I I just went straight to the external. But it sounds like it's probably working for people. So I guess we're getting to kind of uh, you know take advantage of all the the APFS stuff goodness that we've kind of been waiting to have good use cases for. So that's yeah. kind of cool. I'm half tempted to go out and buy that new MacBook Pro that they released right before dub dub because i'm at my three-year mark on my machine and that's when i like to upgrade and pass it down to the kids but i just have that that nagging suspicion in the back of my head that if i go out and do that that in the fall that 16 inch macbook pro or whatever the new redesigned version is going to come out and i'll be like damn it now i gotta wait three years to get that new design well and there's there's also other other potential changes coming to the to the Mac hardware too. So yeah, I'm I just I just re up my machine at the end of last year. But I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like let's say if an ARM ARM Mac comes out. Who knows? Yeah. But i I find it really hard at this point in time to to put down a big chunk of money knowing that A, there's design changes coming to the Macs and, and B that there's like deep architectural changes coming. Right. I don't. I don't know how far off the ARM thing would be, but if it does, I would. I would consider resetting my three-year cycle for an ARM MacBook. But we'll see. Yeah. Even if. But yeah, it always stinks when you buy something new and the new thing comes out. Yeah. I feel you. Even <laughs> if they did have an ARM one, it wouldn't make it to like the the Mac Pro line for a long, long time because those are some really high-end machines. I don't know that ARM chips can can compete with something like that. Yeah, I don't know. They they do Apple does some crazy stuff with ARM chips, but yeah, I, I don't know. We got a lot of other stuff to talk about yep. though. So, um, uh. is are there any like sessions that you guys have? have watched or played around with code from that you really want to like shout to the rooftops all the cool stuff that happened <laughs> well there was the one guy wearing the three wolf moon t-shirt that was pretty cool <laughs> what session was that oh it was it was one of the swift I, swift ones i don't remember if it was a uh, the i'd have to look it up again but uh it was pretty funny the wardrobes it were... was the I believe it was the collection view compositional oh. layouts. Okay, yeah, and that is definitely one to watch. So I have not watched that one, 
sell me on why I want to watch that one. So you you know how the App Store layout looks, where it's kind of like you can scroll vertically and then you can kind of scroll horizontally in in a in a slightly different layout of like uh, say like the most current songs or <clears throat> the uh, top paid apps or whatever, and it's kind of a, a different list format that scrolls horizontally. Okay, yeah, I'm opening the app store right now and looking at it. Yeah, yeah I see that. So their new way of doing collection view layouts are, are compositional layouts, they called it. And you're just kind of adding these sections along into the layout. So that that layout, rather than taking you, you know, hundreds of lines of code, it'd be like four or five lines of code. Yeah, so if you look at the app store, like how many different collection views or embedded view controllers would it take you to implement it today um you know, it could be you know easily four or five but with compositional layout it's just one yeah so, you, you, so you set up your layout and give it a data source and go when they first introduced ui collection views you know they talked about uh the kind of pluggable layout system and they anticipated all these open source layouts being uh, shared. Yeah, they were just like super complex. Are there some out there? You know, for the most part, that didn't really ever happen. Like, there's a handful, but poor. There are there are a handful of open source ones for um, like a mosaic layout or a multi column layout, uh, but they're. I think there was even. Uh, several chapters in a, a book that somebody published on UI collection views. And and while it can be done, it was, like you said, very complex with compositional layout. It kind of fixes all that. Uh, it, it looks very compelling. So if you're still working today and you can't switch over to Swift UI right away, you could take advantage of the, the compositional layouts. If you are able to write your app for iOS 13, yeah. So I guess you still have the same same problem, but yeah. So, uh, so is uh, is it still like a UI collection view layout, but it's just a specific one that is like super easy to configure? Is that what I'm getting? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. you compose it out of like there's like section groups sections in items or, or some order like that and you can uh, compose these things and every section every group every item can be distinct um, but it really you know the more complex it gets the code doesn't get any more complex uh, so that's pretty nice and then they made some major updates to UI data source uh, Kind of the the big thing is instead of things being keyed off of index path, uh, they're now now items have an ID, so you no longer get those inconsistent internal state errors. Uh, the system just kind of handles everything for you. So uh, you know removing or inserting items um, happens. The animations just happen by default and. Uh, you know, no more batch updates or any craziness like that. 
And that's actually based off of a diffing engine thing that they added into foundation. So you can take advantage of that kind of diffing stuff in your own arrays if you want to. Hi, I wonder if there's any other frameworks they could use that in. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the performance of it is supposed to be really good too. So, um, you know, I don't know exactly what it does under the hood, but, you know, it should be even faster than the collection views today. So, you know, those those two things, you know, if you're not going to go to the Swift UI right away, you know, you, you could take advantage of those in your code base as soon as you target iOS 13 without switching your whole UI layer. That seems pretty cool. It seems useful. Could, do, or do you have to use iOS 13 for that stuff? Of course. That's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but you know, in fall, 95% of your users will be, or next, next June, 95% of your users will be on iOS 13. So it's all fine. Yeah. Yeah. My numbers look a little different from that, but not (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately. Um, That's that's something I always struggle with every year is what, what can you use today versus what you have to wait for. Um, And they don't always do a great job of calling out what's, uh, backwards compatible yeah i mean it was cool with uh with all the swift language enhancements when they would make them and they were shipping the swift binary which i know we all were like oh that makes wraps bigger and it's annoying and stuff but you could use swift on whatever os version you want to so yeah i guess there there's good things and bad things about both ways of of doing it um so you know one of the sessions i was watching you still would the the swift runtime is still bundled in your app when you upload it yes it it does the app thinning and will remove it where it can Um, yeah if your users are on i think it's ios 12.3 then it'll remove it so it's still kind of bundled there so theoretically i would think you could still get that same benefit but I don't know maybe maybe someday but maybe it would uh, I, you know I'm not quite sure what else they need to add to the language there's still a lot of uh, proposals out there but um, you know just kind of jumping into some of the changes in Swift uh, the Swift property wrappers that one is really interesting to me uh, it's kind of like uh, custom annotations in Java, in a way. Um, sort of. Uh, Kotlin has something like this, but they call it a, a delegated property. And that's how they do lazy loading properties. Uh, but it's basically you're creating kind of a custom backing for your property or custom implementation for the property. And that's how you get things like the yeah what was it at bindable or yeah at bindable um when they covered it in the foundations uh section you know they actually used the lazy loading as an example Uh, so i'm trying to think what uh, other examples they had but yeah it's it is you know it is a property wrapper um what's interesting to me is that 
these things are still they're not um, accepted proposals yet in the swift evolution process they're still kind of undergoing that that feedback process but here's apple in my in my view kind of forcing their hand on on the swift community like hey you know we did this so either you you uh the official swift is forked or we and people just use our version or you can go ahead and just accept this proposal from us and i don't know how i feel about that it's kind of strong arming the the community a bit yeah Yeah, i noticed a couple people were kind of put off by that a little bit i I think i think i saw somewhere where someone from apple responded or someone maybe it was someone else in the community who was basically like they they still have it as a not accepted proposal in case um you know i mean we have time in between now and september or whatever when it goes final so if if people can find some tweaks to it but yeah it seems like kind of the gist of of what they're gonna they you know put forth in the proposal and what they're showing off at dub dub is kind of what's gonna be the bulk of what what actually ships in swift is it 5.1 is that the i believe so yes yeah yeah well without it swift ui yeah wouldn't be what it is it definitely depends on that pretty heavily yeah, Swift UI also depends on I think it's something called like a function builder, which is another thing that's in proposal process. So like I'm I'm not sure what the like can you think Sam of a better way they could have done it and still kept Swift UI a secret until dub dub or would you say oh maybe just develop Swift UI out in the open cuz uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like it's a thing that would make sense to be a cross-platform UI thing that worked on like other non-Apple platforms. That yeah. So one of the examples they showed off, kind of in the uh, Swift features, like the those, um, function builders, and I know I think that's the wrong term for it, but anyway, what they did was they said, "Hey, look!" And one of us implemented a whole HTML template engine with this syntax and here you go you do this html and open curly bracket and then here's your body tag and all that stuff that was in the original proposal for that that uh builder thing so they they didn't say we want this for a ui kit wrapper replacement thing they said we want this feature this is pretty cool it's gonna let us do some stuff did the proposal come out before dub dub yeah Okay, interesting. So it is called Function Builders. Uh, okay. Uh, at least in the reference I found. But now a lot of different websites, uh, podcasts, screencasts that I follow, you know, a lot of them have written something very similar to this. So like, I, I, I think in terms of like being able to create a DSL, um, you know, this is, this is a solution to that. Um, you could probably, and people have done it without having the language support, but you end up with a lot of uh, boilerplate code. So this, I, I don't imagine that this is going to be an unwelcome addition. No, I don't think so. But, and it's okay this time around, right? But what about the next time? Is Apple going to force something down the Swift community's throats that is only good for Apple. 
it, it, it's just a, a time will tell kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, you know, a lot of the people on the Swift team are active members on the, the Swift evolution. So I'm sure, you know, they've got more inside knowledge of, of how the group's leaning, but yeah, I don't know. It, it may seem kind of like Swift is a open language, but it's definitely got a, not necessarily a, a benevolent dictator, but yeah, it's definitely got a uh, large, large uh, board member. Yeah. Well, I mean like the, yeah, the people in charge of Swift are all, you know, Apple employees whose it's their job to be in charge of it. So, right. I mean, they're, they're still taking community input. I mean, I, I, I guess it seems to me not super likely that they're going to come up with some new big idea and the community is going to be like, oh, we shouldn't do this at all because X, Y, Z. I mean, that doesn't seem super likely to happen. Well, let's say they but, Apple submits something and it's like, oh, this is going to kill Linux support. So do we do this? And then you know, in the next June... Apple's like, hey, look, this cool Swift feature that we're doing, and it's going to let us do this cool new framework. And everybody's going to be like, oh, great, but, uh, oh, sorry, Linux. But they haven't done that yet, so. Yeah, you can't, you can't fault them for a crime they haven't committed yet. Yeah. So, you know, another major feature in uh, Foundation is Combine, uh, which is... And they said it in every single presentation related to it, but um, Sam, you could probably describe it better than me. It's functional reactive programming. <laughs> uh, but they didn't use those words. They used the no. you know way of observing a property over time or yeah, changes of a property over time. Over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were very consistent with how they said that. Uh, but yeah, it is very much like an RX Swift clone uh, baked in the foundation. Um, you know, we've talked about RX several times on the podcast over the last few years. Um, Sam, you're obviously, you, you've drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> I feel a bit vindicated right now. You know, when they came out with that, I was like, oh, huh. So I'm not the uh, fringe anymore. I'm actually in the majority. This is cool. So this is another one of those you can't do Swift with UI without, like, you know, the bindable and and how how they do the binding uh, is built on top of com- combined. So um, you're kind of being forced down this path, which is not necessarily a bad thing. It just uh, yeah. it's it's going to become the way people build apps. Um, as far as I can tell, uh, you know, so, you know, maybe people will find a way to work around it or alternatives, but or just not adopt the, these new frameworks. But so we kind of we kind of glossed over it a little bit. But the one thing about Swift UI is that it is a it's it's basically a one way data flow model, and those models are immutable, like because they're Swift structs, and so when things need to change, your whole UI gets rebuilt. And the way that you signal that things need to get changed is through a new uh, data change 
through combine so that that yeah it would be really hard to do uh, swift ui without combine i believe in a lot of ways i kind of walked away from all these various topics of apple basically saying this is how you should build apps or here's what your architecture for a modern application looks like um, but they didn't come out and say that instead you know if you look at google they came out with their architecture components which you know integrated with rx java or, or um, you know something similar to that you know, the live data you know they had something called view models uh, so it was very much that MVVM pattern with the RX, but um, you know they were fairly direct about it, and you can kind of pick and choose what you use. Uh, Apple just kind of laid all this stuff out without necessarily saying, "Here's here's what a modern architecture looks like." Yeah, a real quick clarification: they do have like some bindings for RX Java, but to things like in the view models and live data, but live data is wholly separate the kind of thing from Rx and, and whatnot. So you can actually do the view models and have your data updating kind of in place whenever it changes, just using the view model component and the live data component. Yeah. But there are bridges to Rx, so they yeah they have kind of acknowledged the community there. Yeah, they... they built support in, or at least acknowledged that people will still want to use Rx. Um, here, I, I don't think it's going to be very pluggable with SwiftUI. I don't think it'll be easy to use something else. Uh, so decent number of open source projects that may not have much of a shelf life, uh, which to some degree, like, you know, you felt vindicated about the approach. I felt kind of vindicated about holding off because I, I was waiting for first party support for something like RX or some sort of binding promises or, or some way of handling async uh, operations and keeping you know, views uh, updated. So definitely got that. Uh, yeah, but, but see, now I, I got to go experience. Yeah, now I got to go learn all the vocabulary and now all the, you know, the difference between a subject and a subscriber and a observer and so on and so forth. Uh, right. No, no dispose bag that I saw though. Yeah, and that's <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's because one, uh, RX Swift is what you would call a push framework. It, it's pushing data down the pipeline whenever a new event happens, but combine is a pool framework. So you actually kind of say, just give it to me when it comes or, or just give me one or two or three or whatever of these events and that's it. And so they also do, you get a cancelable thing. And once that cancelable uh, goes out of scope, then it, it dies. So it's a lot like a dispose bag, but yeah. um, the dispose bag just holds your, uh, disposables for you. Yeah, so I you, think you I could saw make something about the D and it would automatically do some cleanup. Yeah, you could make something like a dispose bag, but I guess it'd be called like a cancel bag. It'd be one <laughs> convenient place to have all of your cancelable subscriptions. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I heard that interested me was that combine 
has been something that was in the works for several years. And the original versions of it started when there wasn't even a Swift. So it, it's go, it goes back. It's got a lot of uh, history to it. And it's not just a, another clone of some kind of framework that somebody thought was cool this year. So that's, that's really nice. I think I saw something similar to that um, on Coco with Love uh, from Matt Gallagher saying Swift UI has been in the works for seven to ten years. So um, you know, none of this was uh, you know, less than a year effort. It's, it's definitely been a long-term process kind of moving these pieces all in the right direction, getting everything lined up. Uh, so, um, lots and lots of engineers putting, figuring out how to put all these pieces together over, over half a decade or, or a full decade. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of long-term thinking going behind these frameworks and that's, that's refreshing. It's, it, it makes me feel good about big changes like this. Yeah. I, I still, you know, there's still going to be some, some frustration, I'm sure. I haven't run into anything major yet, but I, I'm sure, sure I will. Um, so we've kind of talked around Swift UI <laughs> uh, and some of the things being done to support that. Uh, you know, obviously a lot of the sessions were focused on Swift UI. Um, I, you know, maybe, maybe give a quick overview of what Swift UI is and how it's different? I mean, I would say it's very much like something like um, the, the React framework from uh, Facebook. You have this declarative UI. Everything is immutable. You have data flowing kind of one way and that those data updates change the UI uh, based on what the data looks like. Everything is a component, and uh, your components are kind of built off of small building blocks. So I wonder, I guess it would be really very, it would be very, very hard for Facebook to kind of rebuild React on top of something like Swift UI since it's really just a, a Swift framework and not really exposable to JavaScript. But I don't know. I mean, and it is really just a, a wrapper on top of UIKit and AppKit. So it's not just, here's a whole new framework. You know, we re-implemented labels and, and text boxes. It's, we just made using labels and text boxes a thousand times easier than it was before. Well, so, but it's, they did that, but they also, there's a lot of stuff that they left behind from like UI kit and app kit too, isn't there? Like there's no interface builder, uh like there's no zibs anymore. You don't use interface builder. Everything is declaratively written in code. Yeah. There's um there's no more auto layout at least that's exposed that I've seen in any of the examples. That's because it was all in stack views. Which yeah, makes, and makes I'm, me I'm cringe. Kind of, I'm kind of stared about the H stacks and the V stacks. Yes. If they're going to be just like stack views under the hood. I mean, that, that part, I don't know how I think about that. But um, but yeah, they, they took away a whole bunch of the kind of the painful stuff 
and like you said they just made it easier to interact with kind of the existing stuff and the 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 thing that that excites me about it the most um is the composable nature of it because i don't i don't know if it's just how i interacted with ui kit but every time i wanted to reuse something it just was a giant pain it, i mean even before child view controllers uh doing it was a pain and then after child view controllers it seems like every year they changed the api on how to like add child view controllers and container view controllers and all that stuff it just always seemed kind of messy but i mean composability is like a key key feature of swift ui so it's it's pretty exciting to me even as someone who i'm not sure when i'm going to use it other than like a side project or something like that in the like immediate future yeah, and I, I think you, know, you covered a lot of different things there, but like in terms of like the, the stack views and top of stack views, it's, um, it really isn't, you know, under the hood, you know, directly one-to-one I mapping. Hope <laughs> um, you know, I was hoping you, it was more like a flexbox layout. Yeah, I mean, you're basically declaring, this is how I want the screen to be laid out with a bunch of value lightweight value objects and then the engine underneath is figuring out how to optimize that and and uh make it as lean as possible so theoretically it's it's going to write better code than you can in terms of efficiency of how to uh, uh, nest all these things and get everything laid out properly so uh, you know, they touched on some of that a little bit in a few of the sessions, but, you know, they're kind of taking advantage of of a lot of the other things they did. It may be compositional views or compositional layouts uh, under the hood, ultimately, instead of, uh, instead of uh, stack views uh, in order to get, you know, uh, that kind of efficiency in, in that complex of a layout. But... So- so speaking of which, it seems like every example I have seen has been table views. Can you do collection views? So can you do other custom stuff without having to like call out to UIKit? I've I've not quite seen seen that yet. Maybe you guys have dealt delved more deep into it than I have. So I have not seen there doesn't seem to be anything that correlates directly to a collection view. But you could stick something into a H stack that wraps multiple lines. Uh, so if you wanted to get like that flow layout, you could do that. Um, so you can probably accomplish the same thing as a collection view. You just would do it differently. You'd have to think about it more in terms of of the various stacks, um, and it seems to be a flow layout by default. But yeah, I don't know if it's it's something that's missing or just um, you know they've said you don't you don't need those anymore. You can you can just have these wrap multiple lines or um, depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, you I'm know. I'm hoping it's not like here's the grid component that you can use starting in iOS 14 and the <laughs> island further out than Catalina from from the coast because yeah. that would not be very cool if they did that 
Well, and, and that's and maybe it's the session I haven't watched yet. But like, how do you take a, how do you make a responsive layout? Which you know, it's like you said, all, almost all the sessions showed a phone with a the equivalent of a table lay, view layout. So how does that become adaptive on uh, an iPad or TVOS or a Mac app? Uh, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Like, it's amazing how how much easier it is to create a table view and have it do what you want it to do in SwiftUI, from what I've seen. I it's... I I think Sam's comparison to Flexbox is probably the best way of thinking about it. So, um, my guess is, if you try and reason about how you would do it in HTML with Flexbox. Um, you should be able to do that with Swift UI, but I think we'll see a lot more conversation about that as people really start to play with it. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious. I haven't seen any kind of uh, like uh, view hierarchy dumps of what Swift UI has been outputting. And I'm kind of curious if it's going to be something that's horrendous and ugly or actually nice. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about reveal and yeah, whether or not they're going to be able to give you that under the hood insight that uh, debugger that you have today with uh, UIKit. Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's still UIKit and AppKit that SwiftUI is interfacing with for now. That doesn't mean that in the future something like uh, marzipan or another replacement for it will be out there that we can use and we'll just it'll be like oh okay just uh recompile your app with xcode you know 15 or whatever and all your swift ui stuff will use our new framework no problem i they're definitely introducing a nice abstraction layer on that so that they can change out these these uh things that we've been used to for the last 10 20 years now so definitely building for flexibility in the future yeah. now uh, you talked about marzipan so that was you know one of the the ones that we knew was coming um project catalyst i believe you mean yeah yeah so so it got a new That's... name um, That's the marketing name. The, there's still plenty of marzipan references inside the code in the frameworks. Catalina, Catalyst. <laughs> right. Who knows? Yeah. Um, so have, have any of you guys... So uh, I'm sure everyone listening knows, but Project Catalyst is the, uh, the framework that lets you run UIKit on all the things... Well, I guess really it lets you run iPad apps on the Mac. That's that's the term that Apple kept using. Um, iPad OS apps. iPad yes. OS apps on on the Mac, so you can't run run it on the watch or anything like that. And it's not phone apps; it has to be an iPad app. Uh, but have you guys played with that with any of your apps? Have you tried to get anything running on the Mac? I haven't yeah. tried it yet, but it's it's on my radar. Because the app I'm working on for the day job now will oh yeah could definitely benefit from could that. Could be useful. You, Alex? Not yet. Uh, it's on my to-do list. We've got a couple of iPad apps that um, 
are good candidates for Mac OS. So um, I'm hoping uh, this coming week we'll get to try it out. I'm sure there's going to be some things that just don't work as expected, but um, you know, it, it should be an easy thing to, to try out. Mostly just check the box and see how, how bad it is. <laughs> So that was one of the first things that I did with my apps because we used to have Mac apps and then it was just a pain to keep them up to date and we discontinued them a couple years ago. So I was like, oh, maybe we can bring the Mac apps back and have it not be a giant pain in the butt. So I downloaded all the things. I downloaded Catalina, put it on the external drive, installed betas on all the devices. Oh, I crack open my project and... Like every single third-party framework, um, I had to tell it that uh, only use it on iOS because no third-party framework uh, basically supports supports this right now because they're all binary frameworks, and that makes sense because they did know they had to support it. So hopefully SPM will kind of make a lot of those frameworks cross-platform. Um, but I got down to the error, and I was expecting it that OpenGL ES was not supported <laughs> on Mac, which makes sense. And so it's giving me, you know, more incentive to start the metal transition, um, which is something that luckily uh, the API for metal isn't really, a, there's not a huge change in iOS 13. So I can make it and it'll still run on older versions. Uh, if we switch our um, graphics engine over to Metal, but I can actually run it on the simulator when I'm using Catalina and stuff, so it'll be nice. Uh, but I guess it just gave me that little bit uh, more incentive to run, um, to, to get Metal running. But I guess my thing, the thing that was interesting to me was last year they previewed, we've got this new cross-platform way that you can you know, make UI kit apps, and then they brought it out, and they're like, all right, we don't really want you to make UI kit apps anymore. Here's SwiftUI. Like, they brought out this new framework that lets you get cross-platform, and then they kind of deprecated it in the same keynote. <laughs> well, I think you, you can still use SwiftUI on your iPad and target that iPad app at macOS. Well, right, but why write anything in... If you were starting a new app that you wanted to be cross platform wouldn't you just do swift ui and not even mess with writing a ui kit app that will run especially with where swift ui also supports running on the watch um in addition to to the mac and ios and tvos i guess swift ui also does so there's a lot of stuff that's in um a lot of stuff that's in ui kit that is different on tvos as well so like they have this new cool thing, and I guess maybe if you have a big existing code base, like you know someone like me or someone with an existing app with large usage has, then yeah, use Project Catalyst. But like, why would you do anything other than SwiftUI to start something new? I guess if you can, if you are starting Greenfield, yeah, then SwiftUI would make more sense. It just, yeah, it just seemed weird to me that they, like, here's this new way to do cross-platform. Oh, and here's this other brand new cooler way to do cross-platform. <laughs> it was just a weird juxtaposition. And, I mean, I definitely see that, too, like, 
obvious use cases for each one. It was just weird that they both happened to be announced officially within 20 minutes of each other or something like that. Yeah, I wonder if uh, maybe there's significant work you have to do as an app developer, maybe doing custom views to work both on AppKit and UIKit. So I would think you're kind of writing that same underpinning view twice, and that might be more difficult and kind of push you towards the, the iPad marzipan uh, route. Well, Apple's official line on this statement was that they do have the ability to call out AppKit to UIKit and stuff like that in different windows, but they really don't recommend it. And I think they were basically saying, if you already have an AppKit app, you probably don't want to use Project Catalyst. You have, you'll have you have a more native Mac app, but I have a feeling what a native Mac app will mean is going to change a bunch over the next year or two. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, I think. Well, we have Slack to thank for that kind of thing, too. Electron. They've uh, taken the whole native app terminology and twisted it quite a bit. But that's a different tangent. Yeah. Is... <laughs> yep. um... so, so one thing that was interesting, kind of a little go back, the framework uh, format has changed a little bit, too. So... Uh, there's now like a, a new framework format that if you want to run your iPad apps on Mac OS, that you have to use that format rather than the, uh, the standard iOS uh, framework format. Um, I forget what they called it, but it includes, it basically has some fat binaries for uh, x86 compiled with iOS uh, binding type stuff. But not, but not simulator style bindings. So it's definitely different than the simulator. Is that the new like XC framework or something like that? Uh, I don't remember what they called it now. I do know it has a blue icon instead of a yellow one in Xcode. <laughs> not that that's helpful. I, I think it might even have something to do with the new Swift package manager stuff, which I guess we could talk about. Um, a little swift i mean swift package manager has been kind of chugging along on the side but i think it was missing a couple key features that made no one really want to use it unless you were i mean unless you were doing like command line stuff where you were bringing in your swift packages that other people wrote but um we got the the package registry which to me is kind of like the killer feature of spm that lets us get rid of Cocoa Pods and Carthage and all all that stuff, hopefully. Um, and then also they kind of baked support in all over the place for Xcode. And all of the, and I think this new format you're talking about is what Swift Package Manager produces or can produce when you, when you build it. And I think in a couple talks they've noted that these library projects, like you kind of said, support all the different OSs. They're all... They, they run on Mac and iOS and iPadOS, tvOS, watchOS, all of the platforms that Apple recognizes. <laughs> yeah. So I think this will be cool. Do you guys have, have anything else that you noticed about SPM? Generally, I think it's fairly comprehensive. The one thing that uh, 
that I noticed that I was kind of hoping for is uh, you've been able to generate an, a command line project from SPM, just doing Swift uh, package um, generate Xcode proj, uh, but that only worked for a command line project. Uh, so, and you still can't generate an iOS project or, or any of the other types of projects uh, from SPM or from a package definition. So uh, probably not too surprising because, you know, otherwise, you know, we're talking about replacing the Xcode proj with SPM and that's probably not what they would intend to do. But I was kind of hoping to use that to create a template projects. Yeah, this seems like it would have been a nice feature for you. If anyone doesn't know, um, Alex's company has some cool, has a cool template project, both for iOS and Android, that you can kind of use to kind of get bootstrapped when you're starting up a new project. We can put a link to it in the show notes. But yeah, it seems like that would have been a nice feature for you to have, Alex. Yeah, I was hoping between that and uh, and GitHub added the ability to essentially clone or generate a new project from a GitHub repo. They have GitHub repo template projects. Um, I was hoping to get rid of the Python tool that we use today. <laughs> but uh, for now, um, it looks like uh, we're going to have to stick with that or something similar until there's... Uh, uh, a better way of creating template projects for uh, the major OSs. I did see that Xcode can now just open up a, a Swift package file and you can start working on it right there. I don't know if it's generating kind of a temporary project file for you under the hood or what it's actually doing, but it's a step in, in that direction at least. Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, it's either editing just just because it knows what a, a package file is or um, or you're opening up that dependency, that library's package file and, and editing that. But in terms of defining this is your iOS project or macOS project inside of your package.swift, that's not there. So really you're just managing your dependencies um, within that that file so um it's only yeah it's got a relatively small scope of influence um for your whole project Mm -hmm. um but it's not your entire project definition so right really shouldn't surprise me that that's not there um i was just hoping since you could do it with a command line project that you'd be able to do it with an ios project as well and that may still happen um but it's currently not in any of the, the branches of SPM. So one quick question. Is SPM only for Swift frameworks? Can I write an Objective-C framework and publish it on this uh, GitHub package repository? You can, do, you can do binaries in Swift Package Manager. You can do Objective-C, C, C++ even, I believe. Um, so all the existing languages that you can write Apple stuff in are supported as far as I've been able to discern. Okay. Is that, is that what you've picked up to Alex? Uh, you know, honestly, I haven't looked that close at that. Um, 
That's that's something but, important to me when I'm watching the sessions yeah, that I listen yeah. for. <laughs> I mean, you know, I try and go as pure swift as possible when I can. So, um, so I haven't really given a lot of thought to C or C plus plus libraries, but it makes sense. Well, I, so I, I mean, dirty like, up all my Swift with Kotlin nowadays. Yeah, I mean Swift. Swift is awesome, and you know I wish I could use it more, but. Even even like before this new stuff comes out, there wasn't like a great way to like a great no compromise way to distribute uh, a library with Swift, especially if you were like someone who didn't want to expose their source. So I think a lot of libraries are not written in Swift for that reason, and I think that's probably part of the reason why they didn't just support Swift with with Swift Package Manager, even though it's in the name. Um, I mean, but now you can do Swift binaries that that are that are fat bar- fat yeah I can't talk that are fat binaries that can run on all the platforms now with uh, with all the new goodies that we got. So it's kind of exciting that you can like reasonably write a Swift library that can be distributed to everybody. So a lot of a lot of framework developers, I think, working for big companies that develop frameworks, are probably pretty happy about all this new xc framework and spm stuff i'm stepping out of my uh, knowledge realm a little bit but i do know that one of the things i was holding back third-party frameworks was module um, stability which is something that's coming in swift 5.1 so still can't really uh, create a, a framework today and distribute it as a binary without some trouble but come September that that won't be the problem anymore right another another big uh, issue that people had was um, loading the the dynamic framework loader if you add a, had a lot of dynamic frameworks which is if you were distributing a switch a Swift framework that's was kind of the only way to do it and it had to be like the right version of the language and all that stuff um, but they made a whole bunch of improvements uh, for for loading those so I, I guess that issue is gone as well so i think it's yeah come september you can you can write all kinds of cool frameworks in swift and people can use them without any compromise so that's kind of exciting as long as your corporate laptop is on catalina <laughs> <laughs> which i know for quite a few corporations that's going to be a problem yeah that can be tricky <laughs> yeah but you have a good you have a good uh, excuse to have your corporate IT just just say all right we'll just uh, let you do whatever you want on that computer and we'll not manage it or something. <laughs> we need Catalina or else we can't do our jobs. I feel like that's a uh, that might be a good justification. I'm sure no one who manages fleets of of Macs at big companies likes that. But no, I'm pretty sure they're laughing right now. Yeah, it's a pretty good argument in my mind. <laughs> You're a developer. That's why. Well, if I mean, like, let's say you're, I don't know, some, you're, you're Google who has everything locked down for their, because they're a huge company, and you're like, I need to be able to deploy this, you know, this new, like, our ad, ad framework to everywhere, and we need to run Catalina in order to do it. Then it's kind of hard to say no to that. I mean, that's, they get all their money from ads, so. Yeah, yeah. If you're a Salesforce or case. some other big company, I mean, 
someone who's making frameworks, it's it's like, yeah, we got to have this stuff out here for people to use probably, ideally, before September, if not, like, as close as we can get to September, I would think. Yeah, I would think so with iPad apps on Mac, but... I may be overly optimistic on when all of all of the vendors that I deal with will have their <laughs> their uh, their libraries out in in the SPM central repository. But yeah, I got my just fingers crossed. A, I just had an app today uh, get updated for iPhone 10. Not one of mine, but one of the ones from a, a relatively big, uh, not corporation, but company. What do you mean? Just got updated for iPhone 10? <laughs> the the NPR One app just got an update with iPhone 10 support. You're talking screen size. Yeah. Primarily. Oh, Primarily. iPhone. Uh, I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm following. Yep. So, <laughs> I doubt it was because whatever company that they have doing that couldn't upgrade. You know, they, they just didn't get around to it. I guess. That, that is one thing that's interesting now is that apps that are compiled with uh, Xcode 11 will no longer have that screen issue. They won't be letterboxed anymore uh, whenever Apple comes out with a new uh, form factor for their phones. And cons- a consequence to that is that launch storyboards are now going to be required as of, like I think it's April 2020. So if you're if you're not using that, you're just using a static ping. It's time to up, update. Yeah. So something else that's going to be required. Um, I think it may it. They say after it's been deployed, whatever that means. But uh, sign in with Apple if you have any other third party logins in your app. So if you have like Google or Facebook or something login, sign in with Apple, which is you know Apple's new single sign on framework is going to be required. Um, basically as soon as it comes out I, I i thought this was kind of a bold move i think it's from a user standpoint it's pretty pretty cool that you will have to have that option especially if you care about your privacy um but i'm i'm kind of trying to figure out what to do with this one because we already have game center support <laughs> like game center <laughs> login so does that count for signing with apple <laughs> I don't we're think not so. entirely sure well the um, sign in with apple is like uses a like an OAuth type flow. So I mean, Game Center has a similar type flow. It's Apple's, it's their own sign-in framework. But we have, we have, uh, we have Game Center and Facebook right now. I don't know if we need to. All, it seems like having sign-in with Apple and Game Center is kind of redundant. And they actually added some features back to Game Center that were removed this year. So I'm not. Uh, we're, we might have to like burn a uh, support ticket trying to figure out this one out because we're really not sure what to do with sign-in with Apple. One, I, I, I guess one other interesting thing when I was watching, I was concerned about this as you can tell when I was watching the sign-in with Apple session is. You know how Apple uh, generally will say, we're going to talk about something that's cross-platform. And when they say that, they mean iOS, macOS, tvOS, watchOS, now iPadOS. And maybe web. And maybe web. But they they reference Android in their talk. They have a JavaScript framework. They actually referenced Windows as well, but they were like, yeah, we've got this JavaScript framework for web, and you can also use it on Windows and Android. So I thought it was weird that they actually acknowledged 
you know, that Windows and Android existed in an official Apple talk, um, and that they're kind of pushing for developers to support their sign-in with Apple on those platforms as well. Obviously, they have no ability to enforce it like they do on the other cross-platform things, but... Wouldn't that be weird to be a Windows developer inside of Apple? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they don't have, like, native SDKs for Windows or Android. They just say you can use the JavaScript framework. So it'll, like... I mean, okay. like, a lot of... There's lots of apps, even even on your, your Mac that you use, that have, like, an OAuth style. They'll pop up a native box that has the web-based OAuth kind of login flow. Um, so I, I'm guessing that's what they're, they're kind of thinking. I'm sure someone will create some type of wrapper around it pretty quickly. But I don't know. Do you guys see yourselves using sign-in with Apple at all? Or do you typically just sign in with your individual whatever app you're working on their company credentials as a user i think i will use it uh, i it bugs me to no end when i you know, sign up on a website for something or or even an app and i use a sign in with google or something and that that's like this invitation for these people to start spamming me with all these emails yeah that bugs me so I'll be happy to use sign in with Apple and then just kind of turn off email from that company at that point. Uh, as a developer, I know in our, in our company roadmap, it's not on the roadmap right now to have any kind of third party auth right now. Okay. So you just use your own username, password combo? Yeah, for right now. I would think most companies, that's probably the way to go, if, especially if you're starting an app up from scratch. It's, it's nice. The reason we did it was we were small and we didn't want to have to manage and store people's passwords and you know, yeah. those types of information. But if you already have it, like for an existing like website or something, then yeah, it makes a lot of sense to just stick with that. I, I think if I was a CTO, I would, I would be pushing to get rid of those passwords in my company instead using an OAuth type flow. I think, I, I think they can probably... The downside is they're kind of confusing to users depending on how it's implemented. Um, but yeah, I mean, we that's why we do it. Uh, but I think that's all the time we have left this week. So why don't you guys tell us where we can find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at AJ Robinson on Twitter. And I am at Sam Quarter on Twitter, but really the best place is the R Shared Instance Slack. And I'm just Sam right there. And I'm at Alex Argo on Twitter. Again, like Sam said, go to chat.sharedinstance.com if you want to talk to us about stuff. And we'll talk to you guys again sometime, probably. We don't have a specific <laughs> schedule, uh, but... Hopefully not next year in June. Yeah. <laughs>